0: Hear the word of the Lord. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you, because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. This is the word of the Lord.
1: God, You may be seated. Good morning, and Peace be with you. Two services in a row. I kick the tambourine. (laughs) Uh, My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome. Good to see you. I gotta say, I'm equally as disappointed in you all as I am at the 9 o'clock service with that half-hearted Happy Father's Day applause. But hey, listen, dads, that's how it goes, huh? You know what I'm saying? We make this big dramatic heartfelt video for the moms about how you change the world and we need you so much and you do everything and then go get on Facebook at home and you'll see this video that Sojourn made and guess what it is it's dad jokes dad's looking dumb again and then we come here and no one applauds for dads happy father's day go mow the lawn (laughs) I get it dad I get it and hey I'm here for you I'm here for you all right any first-time dads in the room? Is this your first Father's Day as a dad? One up front, huh? That's it, right? One in the back? All right. A couple more, maybe? I know they're hiding around. Yeah, you ain't raising your hand. I know you. You first-time dad. Hey, we'll pray for you. You'll be all right. It'll be all right. You'll sleep again in about 10 years, so I'm told. So I'm told. I don't know. Uh, well, um, you know, since we're easily overlooked, I gave myself a Father's Day present, um, I'm saying and I it wasn't so much a present as it was I felt a moral obligation to myself um because I grew up reading comic books so anytime a comic book movie comes out I have to go see it regardless if I'm interested in it or not which meant uh, a couple weeks ago I went to go see Wonder Woman um with uh it was weird for a few reasons um I can't remember what night of the week is for the sake of the story I'm going to say it was a Tuesday night because it makes it more awkward uh you know like five guys ranging in age, I think from like mid thirties to mid forties going to see Wonder Woman and i that's a little weird, but also um you know, I was just skeptical because it's like, oh wow, this will be intense she 's invulnerable, super strength super it's like the six year old six year old superhero like it's essentially God with a sword, right you can 't stop him you can't hurt her, this will be great and I just wasn't all that interested and uh this It's not intended to be a plug for Wonder Woman. But let me tell you, that movie was phenomenal, okay? It got me. I was totally not expecting it. Uh, So first of all, Wonder Woman grows up on this magical island. And you're like, magical island? It's it's a comic book movie, okay? And it's protected by a fog shield or something. They didn't really explain it. Um, And I thought the name of it was The Mascara, like The Mascara. (laughs) But it's some Greek word. Um, And I was like, that's a weird name for a woman's island. Um, But anyway, so she never meets any boys, uh, and all she does is learn how to fight, but they never really tell her who she is. And so the whole movie, there's this buildup. She doesn't really know who she is, which means she doesn't really know how powerful she is, and she lives in this weird, isolated world. There's no technology, there's no men, and there's this incredible childlike innocence about her where on, on the one hand, she's totally bad, right? Like Michael Jackson bad, like do not mess with Wonder Woman. But on the other hand, she's totally naive and precious. And I felt, and this was just me, and I was playing it cool because, again, I'm sitting with a group of middle-aged men. I felt so protective of her, not in the sense that like she needed protecting because she could whoop me, but protective in the sense of, I didn't want her to lose this precious sweetness about her, this innocence. Like there's this one scene where she, she eats an ice cream cone for the first time and about loses her mind. And you're just like, don't ever change. You know what I mean? And so uh, she, gets, uh, she gets sent out. She heads out into the wide world. And in, in one scene, uh, she's so moved with sympathy for this village that's under siege by the Germans. This is World War I. Uh, that she's going to jump up out of this trench and run across this field called no man's land, which I didn't know if they were trying to be cool. Like it's no man's land, but it's not no woman's land. You know what I mean? I didn't know if they were trying to do something like that. they called a no man's land because if you go across it, you're gonna get killed. And there's machine guns and there's artillery. And I'm like, Wonder Woman, you know about bows and arrows. You don't know about, you know, like bombs and artillery. And all of her friends are like, don't go. You can't do it. We can't do everything. And she's like, I don't care. She puts on a Wonder Woman headband and I start crying. Um, But I didn't let my friends know. So I did this thing where you're like, I'm really paying attention. And I felt something rise up in me, right? And I'm like, don't go, Diana. Don't do it. That was her name. Because can she get shot? Up to this point, there'd be like one guy with a gun and she would do her like bracelet deflection thing. This is like machine guns and bombs. And y'all, I was so stressed out. Because what's going to happen, right? Like, is she going to make it? Is she going to get blown up? Can she take a bomb shot? And, and then I had this epiphany. What was the name of the movie? Wonder Woman, right? Like, and they're not going to kill Wonder Woman halfway through the movie in some random field in Germany, right? And so I was like, it would be a weird movie. 90 more minutes, all about Wonder Woman's funeral. And they're like, don't go out into the machine guns, right? So I was like, I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but I'm pretty sure she's not going to die. And so I sat back and was like, let's see what happens. And I scratched my eyes pretending because I was really wiping my tears. And then Wonder Woman went and whooped on some Germans. That's kind of besides the point. So there's two competing emotions that I had in that moment. The one was anxiety. What's going to happen to Diana? That was her name. Diane. what's going to happen to her? And then on the other was peace. And I think that's an important distinction Most of us, I think, see the opposite of anxiety as certainty. So I'm stressed out about what's going to happen. And if I know what's going to happen, then I won't be stressed out anymore. Sometimes that's true. Uh, That is not always true, though. Does anyone know what is certainly going to happen, what you will be forced to do sometime around April 15th of 2018? Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to pay taxes, whether you have the money to or not whether you've prepared to pay them or not. And if you're like me, you prepare to pay for them and you're still angry and anxious about paying them all year long, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. And there's dozens of other examples, some of them far more serious, where you're certain of the outcome, you're certain of what it will take, and it doesn't affect the anxiety or the stress of the situation at all. Here in this passage, We have Jesus talking about a gift that's unique to people who trust him, unique to his followers, and he calls it peace. And I've got a profound outline for us today that will inform you or let you know that I went to seminary for this. You're about to get your money's worth. Here we go. So here's my intense outline for us today. What is the peace Jesus offers us? What does the peace Jesus offers us look like? And then how do we get it? How did you do that? I don't know. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. It just came to me. So first, let's define what is this piece that he's talking about. So the the passage we read today, every sermon in this series that we've done has been part of the same conversation where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's about to leave them. And this is a stressful situation for them because they've built their whole life around this man. They've left jobs, they've left homes, they've, they've built their life on Jesus. And he's like, hey guys, pretty soon I'm about to leave. And, and they're understandably freaking out about it. And so Jesus says to them, this is verse 26 and 27. He says, when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that's the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So he's he's defining for us in these verses what this peace is. He's saying, I will leave, but then the Spirit will come, and he will produce in you peace of mind and heart. Peace of mind and heart. And so the the, the first thing is we're working towards a definition. I, I want you to notice that the fruit or the peace that Christ offers us is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the product of the Spirit living inside of us. So it's the result of a relationship. It's not something we achieve. He doesn't say, if you do these eight things, right, if you do your Dave Ramsey budget, if you get your savings in order, if you get this job, if you get this situation, then you can have peace. He's saying, no, it's it's a product of your relationship with the Spirit. And and with that, what's more, Jesus says it's not tied to a circumstance. Do you notice how he said the peace I give you is a peace the world cannot give? It's not like the peace the world gives. So think about in our context here, in our culture, what does the world say we have to do to receive peace? Or what is the message we hear? Do this and you'll be okay. If you want to be safe, if you want to be okay, do these things. And just look at how we're marketed. If you drove this kind of car, you would be better than you are, if you had this kind of hair, if you looked this way, if you had this kind of relationship, if you had this much money, do you have this much in savings? On and on, on. do these things if you want peace. And Jesus says, no, my peace is different than that. The, The peace I give you is something very different than what the world can give you. There's no boxes to check. There's no ducks to get in a row. And what this results in, Jesus says, is a peace of mind and heart. The opposite of which, he says, is being troubled and afraid. You can have peace of mind and heart, or you can be troubled and afraid. And I like this word troubled here. It, it, it means emotional distress. It's like a, a rough water being stirred up. So if you've ever been rafting or you see white water, so think about a glassy smooth lake versus white water rapids. Rapids are what it's like to be troubled. The glassy smooth lake is what it's like to be at peace. Uh, Think about exaggerated emotional responses. You ever come home from work? I know someone, it's not me, but I know someone who's come home one time and his wife has been like, hey, can you take the trash out? And you say, why do I do everything around here? And then the whole night is ruined, right? Like you go from zero to 10 for no reason. Or your boss comes to you at work on a Friday and says, hey, I need you to do better on this report. Next time, you got to do better than this next time. And by the time you get home Friday afternoon, not only have you been fired, but you're going to go bankrupt, your house is going to get foreclosed on, and you're going to be living in a van down by the river by Monday, right? You, you go from zero to a hundred in these exaggerated, intense responses. So let's swirl all these together. Uh, so I really love theologians, and sometimes I think they're silly, uh, and reading people trying to define what the peace of Christ is is one of the times where I was like, come on, y'all, quit being silly. <laughs> like they're so, so I'm thankful for the words of Jesus here where he kind of spells it out for us. So what is the peace of Christ? Uh, it's The peace of Christ is a steady, inner stability birthed from relationship with Christ. So I'm going to break it down a little bit. It applies to your whole person. So that's your emotions, your mind, your physical body. It's steady in that it lasts, it endures, it's not tied to circumstances, it's, in, it's internal, it's something you carry with you, it's inside of you. So it's the result of a relationship and it's something that wells up inside of you. It's not tied to circumstance and, and ultimately it's a stability, uh, a deep confidence that all must be well, everything is okay. The peace of Christ is a steady inner stability birthed from relationship with Christ. Were it only so simple as defining it? Definitions are helpful. There you go. What's it look like though? This is where I got uncomfortable wrestling with it this week. I want to look at a couple of vignettes of Jesus' life. He is the full human. He is the God-man, the one who was perfectly human. And we see what these attributes look like In his life. Uh, So, yeah, just a couple of quick glimpses. What does the peace of Christ look like? Uh, The first one, uh, the peace of Christ puts you to sleep. Mark chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Where's Jesus? Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I think that story's funny Um, for a number of reasons. One is the detail there. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat with a cushion. He got his, you know, it's like his airplane neck pillow. He came prepared. Uh, So the boat is apparently sinking. You ever been there? it feels like the boat of your life is sinking. Waves are crashing down. What's Jesus doing? He's napping. Uh, He had a long day. Been using his wonder-working power. He says, let's go do it somewhere else. And while we're on the way, I'm going to take a nap. Uh, Have you ever noticed how often Jesus naps? In the Gospels, they talk about time differently and say things like, at the fifth hour, and we don't really know what that means. But just think about, how do you feel, if you say you have a friend who's 32 years old, who doesn't have a full-time job, and around 2 o'clock a lot of the days, he's napping. You'd be like, come on, man. Jesus went to bed early. He got up early. I think we would be foolish to say he was lazy or didn't work hard, but the point remains the man knew how to nap. And have you ever noticed that he's not napping at convenient times? And the disciples had six days of downtime, and Jesus decided to catch up on his sleep. The boat might sink and everyone might die. And Jesus said, Give me a minute. (laughs) Like, I'm gonna be in the back of the boat napping. Being at peace. When you have the peace of Christ, you can sleep at night. It means you can rest easy, even if your life is at danger. I mean, do you see how Jesus' mind and body are at peace here? He can rest, he can stop. The scriptures tell us that the entire universe, not just the world, but the entire universe depends on Jesus, he holds it together moment by moment. And with all of that responsibility, he still had time to nap. The, the peace of Christ is the assurance that the world does not depend on you. And so you can take a break. You can stop. And there, there's times, there may be a, a span of time in life where I'm thinking of like moms with little babies here where it's like, you may not sleep and we will pray. You know, like if you don't sleep, there'll be real, or if you sleep, there'll be real consequences for a little tiny helpless human being. Um, but when those seasons or time spans go into years and that becomes your normal, there's a real problem there. I was talking to a pastor a couple of months ago and he was like, God, you know, God made me to only require three hours of sleep a night. And I just said, you're dumb. It's not, I, I wanna say to people like that, uh, cause I talk to a lot of us too that are like, I don't take days off. There's too much to do. We'll rest in heaven. And I just want to, and so instead I'll say it to the ambiguity of a large crowd on a Sunday. Isn't it interesting how God made some of us better than Jesus? That that was sarcasm in the long line of the Old Testament prophets. That was a joke. He has not made you better than Jesus. But the peace of Christ allows us to rest and stop. Even when life is on the line, Jesus can rest because he has a deep-seated confidence that everything's going to be okay. So the peace of Christ, what's it look like? It puts you to sleep. Second, peace keeps your mouth shut. Mark chapter 15. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? One of my favorite lines of Jesus, you said it. You said it, man. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. So once again, Jesus' life is on the line here. He's on trial, and Pilate, who apparently controls Jesus' fate, is saying, buddy, aren't you going to defend yourself? Jesus understands the situation. He understands the crowds, he understands God's call on his life, and and ultimately he knows who he is, and he's at peace. He knows all will be well. He knows the love of God so deeply that he has no need to defend himself. He has no need to argue false accusations. He's got an inner stability, an inner peace. It's like Say what you want about me. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. What's fascinating about this in the life of Jesus, though, is you see this incredible willingness for him to remain silent against personal accusations. And yet his whole life in ministry is about defending and setting free people against the accusations of others, namely Satan, but also systems of oppression in the world. So on the one hand, Jesus could remain silent. He didn't get defensive or argumentative about himself. And his whole life was built around, put it however you want, setting the captives free, freeing us from oppression, freeing us from injustice, freeing us from our own personal brokenness. And so there's this beautiful balance of personal peace and stability that enabled Jesus to fight for the rights of other people, to set other people free. And this is something that I think we are so backwards on in the church. Our church in particular. Because how often do we get defensive and feel like we need to set the record straight? How much time do we spend worried? What are they thinking about me? Did you say that to them behind my back because now they're going to think this about me and then I have to go say to them that this isn't the way it was and they said that, but then I have to go say this and then we're all spun up. And then we remain totally silent when our brothers and sisters are suffering, when our brothers and sisters are oppressed whether it's in our church or outside of our church. And two bombs were dropped in our country this week that I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, The first one, Southern Baptist Convention, of which we are a part, of which they have helped us to send over a hundred people overseas. So I thank God for them and we've enjoyed a fruitful partnership with them. But they shot down a resolution to condemn white supremacy. Came back the next day after everyone flipped out and said, no, we actually are against white supremacy that should bother you deeply that a group of grown men Christians who read the Bible have to think about whether or not to condemn white supremacy. That should take a quarter second of deliberation to say that any image bearer of God is less valuable than another does not take much effort for someone who loves Jesus or who's willing to love Jesus more than they love America or our Southern heritage. And at the same time, on the heels of this, the police officer who shot Philando Castile wasn't charged. And if you don't know the story, a man was pulled over, an officer comes up to him, He says, officer, I have a license to carry a firearm and it's in my pocket. The officer says, can you get your ID out? He says, the gun's in my pocket. He says, get your ID out. He reaches into his pocket to get his ID and he's shot seven times and killed. And it's on video. Maybe that happens once and you're like, well, it's it's intense circumstances in the moment. Maybe he felt threatened. How many times does that need to happen before that becomes an issue for us as the church? How many times does the oppression and systemic injustice of people who don't look like you and me, and most you and I, most of us look white. How many times does that need to happen before we become like Christ and speak out against the injustice of other people? But instead, we're over here hemming and hawing about, well, I hope, well, what do they really think of me? Do you see how different Jesus is? The, the peace of Christ gives us a stability to say, I know who I am and that empowers us from a place of confidence and rest and security to go fight for those who don't have nearly the privilege and power that we do. Do you realize who Jesus is in this story? Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And I wish Jesus had said that and a little bit more. I'm actually the king of the universe, Pilate, and I'm holding yourselves together right now. I could turn you into pudding if I wanted to. Jesus, with unimaginable power, all the power in the universe, lays himself down, lays his rights down, lays his power down for the sake of those without power. The person at peace doesn't get defensive or argumentative. This never keeps Jesus from speaking the truth or or to... You know, water down the truth but he's never defensive. he's secure in his own skin he can he can stand calmly before his accusers even when his life is on the line because he knows all will be well. Finally, all these made me really uncomfortable. I'm really uncomfortable right now. so if you're uncomfortable we're in it together. Mark chapter 1 um, peace isn't interested in the crowds. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well and I'll preach to them too. So Jesus, if you watch in the gospels, Jesus will do really cool stuff and then he'll disappear. He'll do really cool stuff and then he'll go off by himself. So he he heals a town's worth of sick and demon-possessed people. And overnight, he's a celebrity. So just imagine, I don't know what the hospital's called anymore, Floyd Memorial Baptist Hospital East Indiana. Imagine Pastor Rob, who works there. Imagine he goes there one day and heals everybody. And the, the hospital is empty. And the whole town is going crazy. This is what's happening here. All the demon-possessed, all of the sick, and they go out and they tell a whole bunch of other people in other towns. The next morning, the disciples wake up and they're pumped. We're a mega church now. The TV cameras are probably going to be here. My Twitter followers went up by 8,000 the night before. Like, they're pumped, right? This is what is supposed to happen. Uh, don't we think that for something to be godly or for, for it to be effective, it has to be bigger, faster, better? The disciples are looking for Jesus. You got to have good breakfast. Long day of healing, doing cool stuff. They knock on Jesus' door, and he's gone. So a manhunt starts. And they find Jesus in the middle of the woods, praying. Jesus, I'm glad you're praying. We got some stuff to do, buddy. Everybody's looking for you. Can't we pray some other time? A lot we could learn in this story. The crowds need you, Jesus. There's all these hurt people. and, And Jesus says, Actually, y'all, we're going to go somewhere else today where no one knows who we are. The person at peace doesn't need applause to know they're okay. Over and over, you'll see how disinterested Jesus is in big crowds and miracles. Because over and over, Jesus will perform a miracle on Monday, and those people will come to him on Tuesday, not wanting Jesus, but wanting another miracle. Jesus will give you a miracle if that's what it'll take for you to believe in him and trust him, but he won't give you a steady diet of miracles because that just simply doesn't work. Miracles are a last resort for Jesus. He's just not that interested in them. He's not tempted by the applause of the big crowds. He knows bigger isn't better, quicker isn't better, and that the kingdom of God is rarely flashy. The life of godliness is rarely sexy or flashy. And so Jesus can turn away from crowds and platforms and instead go about ordinary, everyday life because he knows his life matters. The person at peace knows that they're loved by God regardless of their day's activities. They know they're loved by God regardless of where they get their paycheck, regardless of who sees them or notices them. And I know it's Father's Day, But if you've got a lot of diapers in your life, you need to hear that. Ain't ain't nobody going to become a missionary if they grow up covered in dirty diapers the whole time, right? No one's going to go out to the mission field without clothes on. You know what I mean? Someone's got to wash the clothes. Someone's got to feed the kids. These things must happen, and they're beautiful parts of an everyday, ordinary life. Jesus didn't need the applause of the crowd because he had the benediction of his father you are my son with whom i'm well pleased do what he says i love you you're mine you belong to me that voice was real for jesus and so he was content with an everyday ordinary life and so people at peace live ordinary lives filled with normal activities because they know they're loved they know they're okay they know all will be well so which one of those is messing with you? How are you sleeping at night? How easy is it for you to put work down and rest? How often do you find yourself critical and defensive, leading your own case? How often are you speaking up in your own defense versus speaking up in the defense of others, particularly those with less power and privilege than you? How often do you wish for a bigger or more impressive life? These are the questions that the peace of Christ press up against; they force us to wrestle with. So, how do we get there? How do we experience it? Jesus began this conversation in chapter fourteen by telling his disciples. Similarly, don't be troubled or afraid, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you know how to get there. And one of his disciples says, I don't know the way there, Jesus. So Jesus is saying, I know you all are stressed out and scared, but I'm going to go set something up for you. And you remember the directions, right? And they're all like, what? I don't know how to get there, Jesus. And in response, he shares with them one of the most famous passages in the Bible that most people who aren't even Christians have memorized. Jesus looks to them and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So if you hear these stories and you find the peace of Christ compelling, what I want you to see is that you're actually finding Christ compelling. Or or to put it another way, you can't receive the peace of God until you have peace with God. You you can't get the peace Jesus offers without getting Jesus. He's the only way to that peace. He, He is the way, which means we follow him. He is the truth, which means we trust him. We believe what he says. He is the life, which means we make our home in him. And the product of this lifestyle, the overflow of this relationship is the peace of god and the whole point of the gospel is to show you that this isn't something you can achieve you can't muster up the strength to make yourself right with god you are too far gone from that and if it offends you if hearing that saying you, do, you don't have what it takes to make yourself right with god i would argue you know this about you already listen safe place right a bunch of strangers were good uh Part of my job is to pay attention to people. And by people, I mean you people. Uh, The Bible says that I will have to stand before Jesus and explain to him how I tried to care for you guys. Hebrews 13 is one of the scariest chapters in the Bible for me. Uh, Now you know how to pray for your pastors. Go read that chapter. It is terrifying. Uh, So I pay attention to you people. I'm not so much interested in the internet people or the podcast people, but you people. And here's one of the things I've learned from watching you people. Uh, you are a mess. An utter mess. Here's, here's, I'm, you're not totally a mess. And I'm not saying I am not a mess. We people are messes. Uh, and let me give you some examples of what I see. Uh, first, we need coffee to wake up in the morning, right? Anybody? Can I get one amen? Yes. Whoa, you people need coffee. <laughs> And we think it's funny. We have t-shirts. or I've seen them on like Etsy and stuff, which my wife looks at. I don't look at that. Uh, (laughs) It says like, don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. Or, you know, like those kinds of jokes. Like, we need coffee in the morning. I'm no good before my coffee. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. We need coffee to wake up. And then we go to a doctor to get a prescription so we can have some pills to help us sleep at night. We make plans to do better, intricate plans. Here's all the things we're going to do. And, and then we go to therapists to deal with all the guilt we feel because we failed at doing them again. We want to change, but then we don't change. But think if we tried the things we were trying just a little bit harder, we would change, so we give it another year. And then at the end of that year, we feel terrible because we want to change, but we didn't change. We're just a little more tired. And so we make plans for the next year to do the things we were doing last year a little bit harder, thinking that if we did them a little bit harder and better, we would change. And so we give it another year. And at the end of that year, we haven't changed, but we want to change. And we think that if we did the things we did last year, just a little bit harder. And, and what I see, the end result of this, There's a lot of middle-aged people. I know not everyone here is middle-aged. Thanks be to God. I see a lot of middle-aged people who are worn out, who are scared of God, and who have absolutely no peace. So what does God do? He sends Jesus to live perfectly. What do you mean perfect? I mean perfect. Exactly what the word means is what I mean. And then God says to us, when I look at your life, I see Jesus' life now. Jesus is nailed to a cross, and God says to his only son, all of their sins are put on you now. When Jesus cried, it is finished from the cross, God looked at humanity and he said, your sins are gone now. God raised Jesus from the dead and says, your life is hidden in his now. And and Jesus says to us, now the jig is up. The game is over. There is nothing left for you to do. Anybody ever play hide and seek when you were little? Summertime? You remember what happened if time ran out and there were people that you couldn't find? What would you shout? One guy played the game. Ali, Ali, Oxen Free. Everybody, you can come out now. The game's over. For you with simple minds like me, after the resurrection, Jesus looks at us and he says, Ali, Ali, Oxen Free, y'all. The game is over over all of these things we're trying to do to make something of ourselves achieve it's all over and instead my peace i give to you there's nothing left for you to do peace with god means you know how the story ends life will be filled with bullets difficulties we don't know the details But we don't need them anyway. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are safe. All will be well. You can rest because the world doesn't depend on you. You don't need to defend yourself because the only voice that matters rejoices over you with singing. He loves you. And he says you belong to him. You don't need the applause of a crowd because you have the voice of your father. You can embrace your normal Ordinary, beautiful life because your life matters and all will be well. I want to close giving you a quick practical tip. I'm not going to tell you what to do because, despite everything I just said, most of us remain a bunch of addicts. I love when people, I get people kind of frustrated with sermons all the time, but they keep coming back and they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll say, Just tell me what to do. And I look at them and I say, No! <laughs> because we'll leave and try to do all the things right. And then we get guilty because we then screw it up. And then we get into this whole cycle of addiction where we just want to come up to God and be like, here's why I'm okay, right? And he says, the game is over. But I just want to flesh this out for just a second. The, The word for Holy Spirit in this passage is paraclete. Go use it and impress your friends. It's called the one called alongside. That's what it means. And Greek does this cool thing where they'll take nouns and use them as verbs. And when that happens with this word for Holy Spirit, uh, it means two things. It means to, to trust or to encourage, depending on the context. When it talks about Jesus, it means to trust Jesus. When it talks about other people, it means to encourage other people. So here's what this means. Trust Jesus, encourage other people. Life is hard. It's complicated. It's messy. There's no way... I will be able to explain or answer all of your questions about all of your situations. All of us are, in one way or another, at some point, going to step up into no man's land and run across a field riddled with machine gun bullets and artillery, and all of us are stressed out, wondering if we're going to make it. To trust Jesus is to believe that you are safe, you are his, and all will be well. To encourage one another is to look at your friends, our brothers and sisters, as they're about to run across the field and remind them you are safe, you are his, all will be well. If you want to experience this peace and make it more real, go do that. Trust Jesus and encourage one another. There's no promise of superpowers or something like that. The promise is we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. It's the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and we know how our story ends. We will be raised from the dead just like Jesus. I don't know all that will happen between this day and that, but I can guarantee that all will be well. Thanks be to God. And so we gather every week to ground ourselves in this reality, to remember whose we are, that we are safe and that all will be well. And this is how Jesus taught us to remember this. On the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. He gave thanks. (laughs) He took a sturdier loaf of bread and gave thanks. And said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and said, this is what seals your relationship with God. My blood shed for you. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. This is the ali olly, olly oxen free moment, you guys. Notice he doesn't say, what makes you safe with God? Well, let's see how you do this year. Let's see how your three-year goal. Thank you, one person. Good grief, people. Do you hear what's happening? It doesn't matter what you do. Like, are you saying it doesn't matter what I do? Well, it depends on how you feel about what the Bible says. There is therefore no, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Does that mean we should continue on sin? Say it ain't so, baby. Go experience Jesus in the grace of his goodness and the full life He offers to you, but before any of that, no, you are safe. You are His, and you belong to him, not because of anything you can do, but because of what He's done. That is the peace of Christ. Believe this and receive it. Our tradition at sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or juice. Wine has twine around it. You can use whichever you'd like. Uh, you can even use gluten-free elements. My left, your right. Uh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to take just a second. And think about how exhausted you are from believing the promises of the world. How hard have you tried doing the things that the world tells you to do? And maybe at some point, you'll actually get the job and the girl or the guy and the kids and the house, and you'll realize what everyone who's gotten that realizes. It does not work. It's never worked for anybody, and it's never enough. And instead, the God of the universe comes and says, my peace I give to you, the only question left for us is will we receive it? And that's the invitation for you today. Will you believe these things about Jesus that in your place condemned he stood? He rose from the dead and invites you to experience life. For those of you who are Christians, remember, trust Jesus and encourage one another. You can stop. You can take a nap. You don't have to be so critical and defensive, but you can speak for the voiceless. You can turn away from the crowds and enjoy an ordinary, beautiful life because all will be well. God is with you. I'll pray for us. We've got stations in the back and up front. And then Christians, you can come participate in communion when you're ready. Let's pray.